Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. When was the last time you listened to War of the Worlds? You know, I don't think I've ever listened to it all the way through. It's really, you should. We should just sit down and make a point to do that. Okay. So many things we have to do. We have to watch Shallow Grave. We have to watch After Hours. We need to sit down and just have a Back to the Future marathon. This has inspired so many things I want to watch. I would do a Back to the Future marathon. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. And then Jerky Boys. <laughs> yeah, see, I've never heard of that one either, so. Yeah. yeah. Got to do these. Got to do all these pop culture references. So, yeah, that was The War of the Worlds, Orson Welles, that 1938 radio drama that scared the fucking shit out of everybody. Also, see, I know, I know what, tied into New Jersey. I know what stuff. it did, the social um, sure. impact that World of the Worlds had. But. We'll get to like how it's used in the show, which I loved. This is Mr. Robot Season 3, Episode 8, Don't Delete Me. Man, this episode got me. I mean, like I was, I was crying. I was pretty much crying through this entire episode. Every single time I watched it, I was crying like a blubbering baby. Um, it's directed, of course, and written by Sam Ismail. Cinematography by the wonderful Todd Campbell. My God. And edited by Justin Cron. Very beautifully edited. It was shot in the two, uh, two, three, nine, one aspect ratio. That's Cinemascope. Um, the aspect ratio used in Back to the Future 2. You know, so many delightful little things about this, this show that could skitter into on-the-nose schmaltzery, you know, when your lead character has made a suicide pact with himself. Um, but they just do, I think the episode is is one of the reasons why, one of many reasons why season three needs to get a bunch of uh, Emmy hand jobs. Again, I always say that awards don't matter. I think what I'm wanting is I'm wanting shout-outs for the show, and I want justification for how vilified season two was. Some, at least some acknowledgement of I want people an to, appreciation. I want some people to eat shit over that. For lack of respect. Like, damn. <laughs> the theme of the overall episode is that Elliot is distraught uh, because, as Mr. Robot, he helped cause 7-1. That's what they're calling that terrible day that is greatly overshadowed 9-11 and he's also carrying this huge weight that uh of trenton and mobley being used obviously as patsies and he decides to kill himself now um i'll get to how how he's fucking over his sister by leaving her alone but in his mind he's got to stop mr robot from killing again you know he just this is the worst thing and so he sets about to off himself down at Coney Island on the beach, you know, do some sort of symbolic fitting way to send him and Mr. Robot out of this world. And then Trenton's little brother shows up and stalls his suicide plan. Um, his day gets hijacked by this kid and he travels around New York, taking a journey into his childhood um, and learning how to see the world from different perspectives. He gets some knowledge from a 50s Lorraine from Back to the Future an orthodox ice cream man, and Muhammad. Uh, they share their wisdom and uh, kind of turn the world around for him. Now, we have to remember that Sam Ismail is this Egyptian Muslim kid. He's from New Jersey. And there is a lot of him 
in the show, but specifically, there's so much stuff in the show that reflects Sam himself personally. So, um, getting to Rami Malek deserves an Emmy for for really just every every episode that he's in. But for me, this one, like, I'm like, just mail him the statue. He's in London, and then also send one to Portia and Christian. And Carly and Bobby Cannavale and Martin Wallstrom and Gloria Rubin and Sunita Mani and the Czar and B.D. Wong and this kid, Muhammad Elisha Hennig. Can he get a guest Emmy? Emmys for everyone. Can we get one just for watching? Can we get an Emmy just for... <laughs> can a bitch get an Emmy just for watching a show and doing nothing and talking about it? I'll take it. Um, so let's get into the scenes. What, well, I've given my impressions of the episode. What? Well, just like every episode this season um every episode has been getting better and better and as much as like the last several episodes um how it was so tense and and full of drama this one for me in a very simplistic quiet way was just as intense and just as it was like heartbreaking to watch. It was. You know, it, it it was it was to me it was like the best one yet. Like it just gets better and better. So Yeah, I would have I to say really, so. I really I mean I was I had a lump in my throat the whole episode. Yeah, and I think it's because these last few episodes have been so noisy is not a good word, but you know, huge events, big upheaval, big shifts, and it's like when you slam the door and you go into like a soundproof room from like the street, you walk into a studio, like when I used to work in studios, you'd go in and close that control room door or whatever. And you'd be like, it's almost deafening the yeah, noise, it's, the, the it, silence, the silent. I mean, you could start, I mean, it's so silent that it's like you hear your blood rushing through your body yeah. and it's noisy. And I think Sam did a hell of a job writing this, uh, this episode and Elliot and Elisha did just a fucking fantastic job. And even acting opposite each other. That even, kid is amazing. Even in the um I should say actor. He's not he's not he's he is a younger actor, but man, he's there's no kid about this guy, you know. Even in the way it was shot, you know, just the the framing, the subtle moves. Oh, God. Um like the other that a lot other episode, was it runtime error where they it was a lot of you know that a lot of camera movement, sure, the complexity there, and we appreciated that. With this, it was like the locked off, you know, slow dolly moves were just as impactful, yeah, to and the I, story. And I really am getting tired of people calling the way they shoot the show gimmicky. What the fuck do you want them to do? Lock off the goddamn camera and just, you know, go watch Law and Order, please. Well, haters are haters fuck. are always going to hate. But it's just whatever, dude. It's like I appreciate that the show is intense and complicated and is trying something new every single time. Yeah. Um, let's go through the scenes. We got uh, we start out back in the past. Uh, this is Edward and uh, Elliot at the Washington Township Mall Cinema 8 to see Shallow Grave. Let's talk about Edward taking his, what, is he eight? He's our eight or nine, Elliot? Yeah, something like that. To see these movies. He just so doesn't, you know, 
PG whatever, rated R. He doesn't care. Shallow Grave is a really intense uh, film. And to remind those about this film, this is one you need to see. Uh, directed by Danny Boyle. This is from 1994. Um, Boyle did Trainspotting. This is Carrie Fox, a very young Doctor Who, Christopher Eccleston, and Ewan McGregor, who is all kind of awkward and uh, pockmarked and stuff like that. And it's about you know these three flatmates going at it over this fortune. And it's really... Um, gritty and, but it's about these three people fighting over cash and how things just eventually spiral out of control. Um, Elliot's got his arm in a sling, so we know that this has happened just after the window push pull. Whatever happened in the window, again, Corridana is as recently as an article I read this morning with the Hollywood Reporter has not confirmed whether Edward pushed Elliot out the window. Or not. I know everybody's just made these emphatic statements that it was an accident. But what do you think actually happened? I'm waiting for the explanation. You're just waiting. I'm you just, just waiting. stop because guessing I, I, for it. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, we've heard all of it. And it's probably something that... I think it's a zag. I don't... Yeah. I think it's Magda. I think it's Mama Alderson. And I think... Because Edward sitting here coughing his guts out, apologizing to a very, you know... Arm foldy Elliot, by the way, played by Alex Bento, who has brown eyes. I mean, I loved Alex as this, but I'm very confused because uh, Aiden Liebman, who played a young Elliot before, and he's like what five feet tall now. He can't play the young Elliot. He it's had at least up. he at least had the blue gray eyes of Brahmi. Anyway, whatever. Kid was awesome. Still liked Alex. Then he played a nice little petulant asshole that Elliot was, and we see well, Elliot. What what uh, what, uh, what color eyes is uh, Christian? Christian, I think he's blue or something like oh, that. Oh, so he has, okay. He's light-skinned, light, light, light-skinned eyes. <laughs> he's got them light-skinned eyes. And Magda has the <laughs> obvious, she's got the brown eyes. So I don't know, it's just weird, but I'm just saying, like, mm. you, when you're switching act, okay. But yeah. again, no no shade on Alex. I think he did a good job. And this is probably one of the worst days of Elliot's life. It's a very also monumental day because several things happen. Edward is apologizing for being not being a good father. He's made some mistakes. Now... What is he apologizing for? What are these mistakes that he's talking about? That This is a significant conversation yeah. to me. And is it because he didn't protect his children from his brutalizing wife, that he married her in the first place, that he didn't get the flux capacitor that's being made, you know, in the Washington Township lab in, ready in time? Why is he not taking the treatments? Because he thinks he's going to come back because of his yeah. work. I mean, just just from, like, Past episodes, I mean, the only thing I can think, you know, what has has already been said that he did was, he's like, don't tell your mom that I'm sick. Let's keep this our secret. Possibly. Right? I mean. Yeah, there's something really strange about her not. In the car. And here's, I was saying this to you earlier before we we launched into the podcast that um, Magda Alderson has been just almost purposefully erased. Talk about deletion from from Elliot's mind. So what's up with that? Why well, would we, an Egyptian showrunner, you know, blank out the ethnic mother? And every time we see her... She's brutalizing yeah. Elliot. Or, or, or she's, she's um, putting down... Um, Edward. Edward. So what's like going on there? Like all in season two, all those cutbacks, yeah. you know, those Everything. flashbacks. So what, did Magda push Elliot out the window? Is he sorry because he didn't save his kids from this? Is he sorry that he's leaving them behind with her? 
because Darlene hates it so bad, she'd let some creepy lady just st- snatch her see, at the fair. See, there you go. Right? Yeah. That too. Mm-hmm. So we will, uh, Core says we will finally get an answer about that, hopefully this season. Hopefully, you know, he's not playing with us. So let's talk about the big thing that happened this day that not only does, do we probably see the dawn of Mr. Robot because Edward's coughing. He said we should leave. He drops to the floor in the lobby. Uh, that overhead shot of Edward looks very much, by the way, reflective of after Elliot got shot by Terrell. I mean, the show likes to do stuff like that, maybe. They're in the same position on the floor. And um, little Elliot just snatches up his father's Mr. Robot jacket and goes into the theater. He didn't go to see Shallow Grave, by the way. I couldn't read the title of the Yeah, it was... What he went to see. Yeah. Somebody sure has got it on Reddit or wherever, but I, you know, I didn't, I couldn't see it. It wasn't in focus. But he goes into a movie that's practically empty, yeah, empty. Maybe two people, people are in there, there. Yeah. so it's not. It's obviously not the Jerky Boys. Um, it didn't. It's not Babe, not Shallow Grave. So he goes into this movie and starts talking to his imaginary friend. Tells it to be shh. And I'm like, are we watching the beginning of Mr. Robot? Because what also happens on this day is this is the day that, uh, that Edward Alson, Alderson dies. This is confirmed by producer Cora Donna. So I'm saying, yeah, we just watched it happen. So does he die there in the theater or is he taken to – because it just seemed really odd that this kid walks away from the, his father. People are watching and can go into a theater by himself. It's like, hey, kid, you, you would think that. I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I mean, honestly, I think that's re- more realistic of how it would play out in real life for me. Would, people yeah. don't give a shit. People no. drop dead in front of people all the time. They're like, what's up, what's up with that guy? Let's run. Make we watch it all the time. Yeah. Uh, YouTube is full of this kind of shit. So I, I think we're seeing the dawn of it. Um, maybe the window push, he hits his head. That That exacerbates or creates the DID, the split. Um. I think the window fall has a lot to do with with all of these elements and then him dying. And I think what Elliot has done with the jacket prior to knowing that his pop is out there dead, I don't think the kid is, you know, he doesn't know that he's dead. He's just, maybe he's passed out before and he's like, here we go again, this yeah. drama queen. This weak son of a bitch who's about to leave me with this evil woman and who has been keeping this from everyone and he won't get any treatment and he won't get any help. So Elliot starts creating this swaggering, womanizing cartoon movie version of what he thinks a father is or what he thinks a man is and that's his creation of mr robot which explains the way he speaks to women and about women and how he's this murderous rageful place so this this kid puts his rage and his grief into this split altar this showed a lot to me about um who mr robot is and why he just won't take any shit. He won't back down. And he stayed this way from probably his incarnation. Yeah. That's what makes him capable of doing. Yeah. Because this kid is going done. to see like really adult movies. You know, he's getting informed by uh, a a world of, you know, sexual aggression and murder and plotting. And so, yeah, I think that's what happened. Um and then we go into the, you know, the theater PSA, the start of the movie. You know, there's this little line, like, 
please throw your trash into the specified containers. I think this is a little nod uh, about the jacket and the way it was disposed of later on. Again, I might just be reading everything into this show. I mean, I think Ismail has even said, you know, Redditors and, and other theorists have said stuff. And he's like, oh, shit, well, really didn't mean it to be that way. But I guess it could. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Or, oh, wow, that's a good idea. I wish we'd gone that way. Um, it has this. This is what I love about Mr. Robot specifically. I think the fandom is extremely sharp. Yeah. I love the fandom. They can be a little uh, obnoxious and annoying, kind of stabby, stabby, kill, kill. But I kind of also like that about the fandom as well. It, it just really it attracts um, a wonderful group of people who just really like to break it down. Um, by the way, have you ever eaten your popcorn that way? No, I've I've never even heard of it. I mean, like I've heard of of people doing things, you know, but I've never <laughs> doing things. <laughs> yeah, me too. Normally, what happened with popcorn that was you know not cool was people would put their penis to the bottom of the popcorn. You know, I came from a <laughs> sleazy town where I come from. Like nobody's putting in M and M's in no popcorn. I had a different childhood than Elliot. Uh, so and are, yeah, and are they are is is the is the M and M's are they buttered? Or did you? It's just I mean, is the popcorn you, buttered? Is well, what the you're popcorn's saying? buttered, but yeah. you know, it's just weird. It's, I guess. I mean, it sounds like it could be delicious, but I don't know. I mean, well, I'm not a sweets person anyway, so so you're just kind of like ew. Yeah, but see, I but like M and M's. I like the chocolate M and M's. I grew up living in the theater. I practically was at either the Towson the drive-in. I would go there when I was a kid. Or at the Scottsboro Theater, and just I was there like all the time. Like anytime the doors were open, even if the movie sucked, I just loved the theater. And I've had all the snacks. I've done all kinds of strange combinations of things, but I have never done that one. So mm-hmm. my snack game must be off. Got to get your snack game up. Got to get it on. So now we're in Elliot's apartment, and um, he's got that smashed up mirror, you know, where he's you know done gone crazy in the past. And we see that he's gone out and done, he's purchased a medicine cabinet replacement, still in the box. And he's sitting in his desk and he's reading about Trenton and Mobley. I did not know this. Mobley is 31, okay? That rings. Trenton was only 18. Like, I didn't get that she was 18. Yeah. It didn't feel, because, you know, she lives at home with her parents, but a lot of people live at home with their parents, you know, for all kinds of different reasons. I didn't pick up on that at all. So she would probably have been, what, a freshman at NYU? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I remember that that scene with her and Darlene and, at school. But yeah. But I didn't – it didn't occur I mean, I to me that she was a college student, was but I didn't realize that – I guess she would yeah. have been – okay. So that kind of also continues to break my heart. Um. You know, they're talking about how they were the the two main attackers. She was born in Iran. They both lived in Brooklyn. Um, Then they talk about the FBI raid. He's reading all this, by the way, probably some Gawker article. Gawker was still around in 2015. Uh, The raid happened on June 22nd and that it's allegedly cursed and that the F Society name is a bit on the nose. Uh, Red Wheelbarrow is described as an F Society front. And then it had this gnomic climate that was putting other restaurants out of business. I read it very quickly, and I did freeze frame it, but I don't, what does that mean? Uh, gnomic, from what I understand, is uh, it's about rule changing, like being able to change the rules uh, within a game. There's a game where the players can change the rules of the game as they go. So 
You know, not only was it a front, they were putting everybody else out of business. Goddamn F society. It wasn't me. But but Red Wheelbarrow knows. I know. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and this is also where Terrell was held hostage. So Elliot is talking about deletion. He's uh he's got his files for Shama Biswas and Sunil Markesh and Mobley on his computer and he's he knows all about them. He's he's hacks he hacks everyone, right? So um and he has this narration here that, I, that again, we just start in this tone. When you delete something, you're making a choice to destroy it, to never see it again. You choose to delete because you need to free up space, because you don't want it anymore. Is that what happened to Mobley and Trenton? Trenton were they unwanted, taking up too much space? And I was just trying to, when I first watched this, I was like, wait a minute. It took me a second to realize that Elliot doesn't know exactly what happened to Trenton and Mobley. He knows they're dead. He knows how they were found. And he's probably, he knows probably Dark Army, but he doesn't know. He's still in the dark. Um, But he knows that whatever led to them being placed in this situation, you know, he had a hand in it. Yeah. Because he knows he pulls off, he pulled off the 7 1 hacks, Mr. Robot and Terrell. So I was just like forced with the trees thing that I do. I was like, oh. And then there's these poignant moments. Um, he's, you see his cursor over, are you sure you want to permanently delete Shama Biswas? And he, you know, puts her on her, a disc, you know, puts Shama on the disc, and he labels it Bruce Springsteen's magic. By the way, we're going to post the lyrics on uh, the website and on Facebook. You got to read the lyrics of this this song, man. It just goes right to the heart of who Shama was uh, and how she was, how Elliot saw her, like what a badass hacker she was. And just sort of a, there's a theme in this song as well. Um, we're going to play it on the way out too. So if you can understand Bruce Springsteen's, who understands, um, but you might want to look up the lyrics for clarification if you're not a Springsteen fan and don't, uh, you know, he's hard to understand. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, guys. Don't come for me. Uh, we have been, uh, he's also been tracking Mobley's brother, Sandesh, we see. Uh, and when he burns Mobley's CD, you see DJ Mobley. And I don't know what was written on the bottom. I'm sure somebody's been able to figure it out. But it looked like he's B-Boil or, ye- or yes, B-Boil. I don't know. I didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't see that one either. I have no idea. And then he wipes on his system, which in Elliot's case is drilling holes in everything and throwing things in his poor microwave. They're just going to leave that pizza box on top of his microwave for the entire run of the show. I think so. That's yeah. just, you know. Is there just a dead rat? Is, is that where Pizza Rat lives? He lives in the box in Elliot's apartment. The Pizza Rat of New York, that's his spot. That's his flat. He comes into a hole in the wall. He gets up in the microwave. He's like, oh, wait, he's about to burn something out. So he skitters out for a minute. And then Darling comes over, and we learn from her uh, scolding Elliot that he hasn't been out of the apartment in three weeks, and she's worried about him. And then she's telling him, hey, I think you need to go see Angela. She's just done straight gone crazy. And he's like, I don't care. She should be breaking down. And she's like, nice. Nice, Elliot. And reminds him that she's been there for you many times. He's like, guess I'm an asshole. Um. And she tries to convince him that it wasn't him, Elliot, the good Elliot. Yeah. 
that did this seven one hack, and he says even if it was him, it was me, and he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong, but it's like because I want to separate Elliot and Mister Robot. Me too. too I know? desperately do. Because I, I don't. Elliot's not just like he he told. Well, later on, he told. Uh, What's his name? What was his name's brother and Shama's uh, father that they weren't capable of doing this. I yeah. Like, I don't think Elliot is capable of doing this. Well, I mean, that's well, the I whole mean, point of the he's, show. Yeah, he's capable of right. it. But it's like, that's not well, who he is. And I think Darlene yeah. knows that. That's, well, and, and that's what she's trying are. to say. And yeah. But he's, she said, I'm not even convinced that Mr. Robot even did this. Is what she's saying. I'm not even convinced that your darker side even did this. And he goes, what does it even matter? You know, yeah, and I, I, yeah, exactly. He got what he wanted. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh nope. You know, E Corp's going to be fine. Great. They, and they, oops, they, he didn't see that coming. You they know? were supposed to just get that one building and have the the people out of it. Yeah, there was not supposed to be a loss of life. Elliot's having the pro- proper response. You know, he's despondent. He's upset. He's full of rage. Mister Robot is mad because his plan got hijacked. Not even concerned that thousands and thousands of people are dead. Um. So, yeah, but then Elliot's mad at him going, okay, Mr. Smartass, Mr. You know, unremorseful, whatever. You didn't even see the e-coin thing coming, you big dumbass. And he's like screaming at her, you know, and then he leans in and he goes, and the reason he got away with it is because I wanted it. And then he's like, I liked it, all creepy-like. And she's like, you're scaring the shit out of me. What I marvel at about Darlene is that, she still goes over to Elliot's apartment at all. Like I have broken up relationships with people over just, I don't know, not petty shit, but like if somebody like, I don't even care if it's my brother came at me the way he's come at her a couple of times, you know? And it's been three weeks. I wonder how many times she's been over. Did it, does it say? No, it doesn't say that, but you know, she's probably texted him a lot. She's probably called him, and he's just you know not responding like like he does. He, sh- he shuts down. Yeah, yeah. He's just he's holed up in his. He's probably just been sitting there reading the same articles over and over and over again, and pouring through everything. Him and Angela, they go and lock themselves up for three weeks. That's what they do. That's kind of that's totally how, why they are very tight. Um, and she's like, you know, look, you can still get rid of him. Talking about Mr. Robot. And he's like, you don't understand. I tried everything. I tried medication. I tried everything. I tried everything, darling. Medication, therapy, fucking jail. He won't leave because I wanted this. And then he says, I like it. And um, he says he needs to find a way to cope with things and he wants to be alone. And Darlene rightly understands her brother. Again, we talked about she's almost his twin to me. I feel like they're, they're twins in this. Is that she's like... She knows if she leaves him alone, she senses he's going to do something to himself. Yeah, she called it out. She's like, yeah. why do I feel like you've, you're, you're giving up? Yeah. And then, you know, to placate her, he's like, why don't you come back tomorrow? We'll smoke up. We'll watch Careful Massacre. And she's like, it's not in Halloween. And he's like, well, since when do we follow rules? But this is kind of, this is where I have such a problem with Elliot. And again, he is a flawed motherfucker, and that's also why I love Elliot as a character. 
But it's a cruel thing he's about to do to his sister. She's going to come tomorrow to do this traditional thing that they do, and she's going to be the one to find his fucking body. Yep. You know, not in the apartment, maybe. Maybe that's why he went to Coney Island and didn't do it at home. But she's going to be the one that, you know, they're going to come looking for and say, can you identify your brother? You know what I mean? It's like... It's a little douchey. He goes out of his way to do these next couple of acts of closure, and he's leaving her hanging. So Darlene deserves better than this. And she has been so... She's been a good friend to Angela. She didn't leave her when she was cracking out, even though Angela, like, (laughs) bent them over the sink and went to town and betrayed her and Elliot. Her compassion is right there, right at the surface, ready to go. And she's sitting there with her friend who's been a part of this huge thing. And, yeah, she's, like, shocked and all that kind of stuff, but she's worried about the people around her. She's really a loyal-ass fucking friend. So Darlene deserves better guys. Just saying. She deserves an Emmy. She deserves an Emmy, too. I also love Carly for that. I think she's awesome. But he puts his arm around her, and we see, like, this tightness, you know? And this is, again, this is the only person she has in her life, and he's about to take that person away from her. Um, then he goes and gives Flipper to Bo. This is uh, Josh Mostel, who's his landlord, and he's got the purple eggplant toy. And Flipper knows something's up, too. Flipper's giving him a look like, like yo, yo, dog. Bro. Come on now. Yeah, snap out of it. And and as soon as he goes and gives Flipper to Bo, I'm like, oh, he's he's out of here. I just was trying to figure out how he was going to do it. And um, and he talks about deletion. And he says, you know, you have to, like, that annoying dialogue box, yes or no, do you want to delete? And because he's, he's taken Mr. Robot's jacket out of the closet. And he said, means, you know, me getting Mr. Mo... Me getting uh, rid of Mr. Robot means also getting rid of you, us, you know, his imaginary friend. It's all got to go in his mind. And then we see him take the jacket to this guy who's burning people's garbage. What's happened to the city services? Is everybody just on strike? You know, I feel like the garbage is piling up because there's a lot of strikes because guys are not getting paid. Is that why they, you know... Probably. It's New York. People are not getting... Nobody Nobody can pay their bills with e-coin or they're not getting it out or something's happening. Um, well, I guess any time that there's some type of catastrophe, it, garbage is the, is the first thing to pile up. Really? I think so, yeah. Okay, I guess I... Uh, um, anyway, he says, you know, as he's handing this jacket to the guy to burn, maybe that's something I should have done a long time ago, which is kill Mr. Robot. Um, he wouldn't have gotten this far. He wouldn't have done all these things. Then he goes to see Hard Andy. This is Christopher Halliday, by the way. I'll, he's such a skeezy character, so Christopher did a hell of a job with him. And Elliot is going to buy some morphine from him, but he buys the whole bag. And Andy, who gets very suspicious, his one eye-shadowed eye is twitching. <laughs> and he's like, you need to like strip and spin, buddy. Gotta clean your fingernails, boo. And uh, I get I have a, a side note here. Elliot doesn't eat, and when he does, it's usually shit. Um, and he doesn't work out that we notice, unless he's just getting those. Mister Robot goes and does like you know goes to the gym. You know, Elliot's pretty cut. 
So maybe he's got a home gym now. So nobody knows. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you, Hercules, Hercules. Thank you, Sam Ismail, for letting us see Rami in his drawers. Anyway, um, so Andy is guessing at why he's here to buy all of his stash. He's like, either you're going to go and uh, you got a cop, you know, coming here to set me up. So it makes him strip, and then he's like, or you know, what? What was the second? You're going to resell uh, my supply. Yeah, in my in market. My, in my market. And you don't look dumb enough to do that. Which leads me to three, which means that you're what, you know? Got a death wish. Life that unbearable, baby, cute little boy like you, the pleasure I could give you. And the look that Elliot is looking, giving him back is like, you know, even if I swung that way, no. Because you need a fucking shower, bro. Your place um, is nasty. Yeah, I mean... With that big old stain on the wall. Right. Who's going to even... Who's the gonna, ceiling. Who like, to look up damn. at that? No, I would just say if Elliot was, you know, if Elliot's, you know, bi or whatever, I don't think... I think he could do better. I think he could do better. Um, it's like a shame that you have a death wish after all. So now Elliot goes to Sandesh Marquesh's um, house. Sandesh played by Dalip Rao. And people have been throwing garbage on... Sandesh's lawn, you know, here's the guy who's the brother to the terrorist who caused one of the biggest, you know, these families are exposed. I mean, like, you're you're fucked forever. And he answers the door with a baseball bat, and he's pretty fucking mad. And I get the impression from these performances, these directions, is that people have been knocking on Sandesh's door this entire three weeks. And so here's Elliot going, whoa, 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 I just, I just wanted to say I'm a friend of your brother's, and I need to know... It's the same type of attack that um, Joanna had after yeah. five nine. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, that's it, true. They were just like throwing paint on her and like sending her hate mail. So he's like, you know, is there a place where I can go to, to pay my respects to Mobley? And the guy's like, fuck that dude. You know, he he's a fucking terrorist, and I'm not going to pay for that guy to have a funeral. And Elliot is like telling him, like, you know, he's a good he's a good dude. I knew him. Yeah. He's not capable of doing this. And then the brother says, it's been all over the news. What do you think they do? Make this shit up? He was working with the Iranians. I love how Sam is just... those, Just those digs. These digs at, the, at where we are right now. Yeah. Um, so he slams the door in Elliot's face. And I'm like, so much foreclosure on the Mobley front, you know. You're about to go, you know, do do yourself in with this bag of morphine, and uh, you're you're tying up your loose ends. <laughs> Didn't go as smoothly as handing Flipper over to your landlord. So then he tries. Uh, he goes over to Trenton's family, and he sees Trent, uh, Trenton's dad Arash, uh, played by Miran Slogian, and her brother Muhammad, the wonderful Alasha Hennig, and. Her mother, who didn't even get a name in the IMDb, maybe she has a name by now, but she's played by Sahar Bibian. Was it just Bib- was it just mother? Just Trenton's mother. Trenton's mother. <laughs> and they're out in the front packing, um, and obviously the Biswas family's moving away. I mean, they ha- they're in a position where they're not going to stay here. They're not going to be in this community. They're not going to be in this neighborhood. And um, Elliot tells Arash, you know, she was a good person. She was innocent. You know, he wants him to know that, and... Although Arash is disappointed that Elliot doesn't have any information on why she went to Arizona or didn't talk to her recently, he's, you know, very happy that he says nice things about his daughter. That was that was a hard heartbreaking scene to watch. It, well. Oh man. I mean, you just felt the the pain. And then what you you're seeing that you're seeing Trenton being held down in that seat 
why Mobley is being forced to get to shoot himself. It's and her just... father knows. He somehow senses, you know, and I think this is also a very realistic thing when people have these senses about what happens to their children or a loved one. You know, he knows that she's a victim. He tells him. Yeah. You know, she was a victim and she's being framed for this. And he says, you know, this country now blames Muslims for everything. There's no room for uh, for us here anymore. And they're, too, being deleted in this scenario. Talk about deletion. And um, the Arabs are, you know, let's, let's round them up. Let's get them off the street. Let's commit this Nazi-like shit toward the, the Muslims now. And Muhammad, the younger brother, is, is hearing Elliot say these good things. And we talk about, you know, a lot of whys later, but I want to say one thing that st- stood out to me as well, going back to what happened with Sandesh and what's going on with the the Biswas family, is that, you know, people have been probably coming by there, um, targeting them, saying things, leaving messages. They've obviously broken out their windows because their windows are boarded up. So someone's taken care of that pretty quickly. And they're being harassed and chased away. And so here comes this guy and they're already on the defensive, like, look, I just let me leave in peace. I'm getting out of here, okay? Don't yeah. don't go crazy on me. Here's a guy all in black, you know, going to come up and do some shit. And Muhammad gets to see someone say something nice about his sister and, and defend her. And that's probably the only time that's happened since 7-1, you know? And are they even allowed at their mosque? Are they being shunned by other Muslims? We don't see this, but... In this quiet way, Ismail is able to pull off this kind of moment and motivate um, Muhammad to follow after Elliot, in my mind. Um, so then he goes to Coney Island. Here's, here's a shot that I liked um, as he's walking through. Remember in uh, – it's the pilot, I want to say, after Elliot meets with Mr. Robot and he's walking through the subway and we hear that, if you go away – kind of song playing and it's him looking at the debt and the stuff on the wall at ecoin and he's kind of got this lift in his spirits as he's going through the the subway and he's returning from coney island uh the shot of him going through the subway where it's now there's people like sleeping there everybody's got a mask on i'm imagining the air quality is like really shit now for some reason that the smell of everything is rising up because of the garbage and um it kind of mirrors that that beginning with Mr. Robot at the Wonder Wheel in Coney Island and how that was the beginning of the revolution. That was the beginning of setting up the 5-9 hack. And then here is the end result. And he's going back to the Wonder Wheel to kill himself. So beginnings and endings, right? Yeah, full circle type of thing. Right. So I really appreciated what they did there. Um, his plan is he's going to sit on the beach with the Wonder Woman in the background, and he's going to just, I don't know, is he going to take that entire bag? I mean, that'll fucking kill you. I mean, I think, I don't know my dosage. I'm not a big uh, drug addict, uh, but I would imagine, like, what, 10 of those would probably do you in, right? Five? So that whole bag. Yeah, you definitely would. Of breaking yeah. bad blue morphine uh, is going to... You're going to go riding out on the great wonder wheel in the sky on the back of Emma. Um, so he's about to, to take these pills and Muhammad rolls up. He's followed him there. And so he's had to go from what Brooklyn to Coney Island. 
And I don't know my New York. That seems like that's a hike, you know. But he's like, oh, you sick? And I got to tell you, Rami and uh, Elisha in this scene, I loved it because he just wants to kill himself in peace, you know. I just want to sit here and and be sorry for myself and kill myself. And the kid rolls up and he's just in just the complete takes us in this complete different mindset in this sort of the comedy of it all of I've got to he tries to shoo him away and he's like, you don't own the beach, man. You don't own the beach. And then he he's like, I don't know how to get back home. And he's like, oh, fuck. Now he's saddled with this kid and it's putting a, you know, a dent in his suicide plans and he's connected to Trenton. So there's the guilt of, I can't let Trenton's brother get, you know, abducted. So now he's got to, you know, take the kid home. I don't for a second believe that Muhammad doesn't know how to get home. Oh no. He knows how to get home. And I kind of felt that even from the beginning, but the way the whole thing ends, I'm like, Muhammad was playing Elliot from the very beginning because I don't, I think, I think Muhammad's a very sharp kid. Yeah. Well, even just like Elliot was as a child. Even like when they were, they decided to leave the beach and he's going to take them home and they're walking through the, the, the tennis courts and the soldiers and they talk about the shoes. Uh-huh. He's like, this is the way we walk. This is the way. He know, yeah, exactly. Like, this <laughs> is a, a good point. You know. <laughs> He's like, he knows all the fucking shortcuts yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. but he can't like find his way f- back from like Coney Island to Brooklyn. Come on, dude. Yeah. Well, I was, mean, it's not a vast swath. There's also plenty of like maps in the subway. Anyway, he got there. Oh, it's so funny. So yeah, I, yeah he's he, playing I him. think he was just, you know, he was, I think he was just sizing up Elliot. I think he was too. Um, but he does ask him, he's like, you know, um, he says, you don't own the beach. He says, are you serious, man? <laughs> Your parents are going to be worried. I don't need a babysitter, but he doesn't want to go home. This, I think, is probably the truth out of Muhammad. You know, and why do you believe my sister didn't do anything wrong? Dude, you can't just stay here. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. So he has to take this kid home. Or so he believes, you know. He's not thinking very straight today. And they pass this makeshift detention center. And this whole thing, by the way, about um, what Muhammad says about the shoes and the praying. Because he's, where do you play? pray? Nowhere. He goes, like, oh, you're so lucky. It's so boring. I'm always like, I got my face in somebody's butt. Some guy's <laughs> your butt. Up, your head up someone's butt. That actually comes directly from Sam. That, that's a Sam story. He just was like, it's so boring. And then there's a dude's butt right there. And the shoe thing also comes from Sam. Um, that that became a game, like just trying to put your shoes back on, like you're always falling over. So he, he mastered it. So I thought that was a, a cool thing that they gave Muhammad. But can we talk about the fact that Elliot is literally being visited by Muhammad, which could have been schmaltzy, which could have been the wise precocious child shows up to save you from killing yourself. You know, all of this stuff that you could take it as. But I think it, it lies in the performances and the yeah. direction. And it, within the context of the story, I mean, it just, it, there's nothing schmaltzy or on the nose about it. Yeah, and that's Rami and Elisha, I think. You know? I think it's the, these two actors and, and Sam's direction where it could have been like this really sappy, drippy, hallmarky thing. And it's just, it ends up being hilarious and dark and really fucking touching. Yeah. And when, uh, the way Elliot actually interacts with Muhammad is like two brothers, almost two friends. 
like an older brother to a younger brother. He's like, I bet you can't like do the shoe thing, you know, blah, blah. He goes, can you do that? He is probably, and walks out of frame. <laughs> so then they get to Muhammad's house and there's no answer. And then Muhammad says, they usually leave me home alone when they go out. Now, again, I don't know if I'm reading every little thing of this stuff, but is that another home alone reference? Uh, again, mirroring childhoods of Elliot and, and Muhammad. And Muhammad tells him that he's in Danbury, Connecticut. And this probably, again, every scene with these two is is gold. And this one is no exception. It's like, my uncle lives there. He likes to live by the mall. He's bald. This is serious. I can't just sit here for two hours. And we know for a fucking fact that Muhammad is conning Elliot into taking him to the movies. He says, I've never seen a movie or something like that. You know, I don't go to the movies. And I'm like... It's too expensive. What is it? My dad says it's too expensive or something. Right. And we just pointed that... We were talking about this last night, you and I. You know, when you have a hacker like Trenton and the family... You're not ever paying for a movie. You're, you've seen all the fuss. She's going to torrent the shit out of those. Yeah. And you're going to be able to see that. He's, he's seen a lot of stuff, this kid. So, but then, you know, I love how uh, Elliot's like, well, we're not going to go see anything in this. There's something good on, you know, because, you know, this is a kid who wanted to see Shallow Grave at like 11. He's, he's a filmophile, and rightly so. You know, he's got his taste down. So they go to the Alpine Cinema on the day of all days. It's October 21st, 2015. I love what the show did here. The writers went to see Back to the Future together um, and decided, uh, and they went on one of the, the, they went on, I think, this day, and they said, you know, we should put this in the show. It's also Sam Ismail's way of trolling the hell out of us. Um, Because people keep saying the show's going to have a white white rose, the sci-fi element, with the flux capacitor, the the particle collider thing. And I think what he's doing is going, he's just toying with us with this Back to the Future thing. But in the middle of toying and tro- trolling with us, we know that he says something important. Um, and, he, and he does it very simply. But before we get to the, where they're standing in line to see the movie, the kid wants to see The Martian. And I love this interchange where Elliot's like, first of all, the Martian looks like shit. <laughs> Second of all, he can't believe he hasn't seen Back to the Future. And the kids, that looks like it's an old movie. And what just broke me is that Elliot says, you don't understand. Today's the day that Marty travels into the future. And I've wanted to see this movie on this day since I was your age. So weird that it's today. We're seeing the fate. And you know what? I've actually read and heard and even personally experienced what this episode is doing, where I was having such a really, really bad day that my mind would go to a dark place. And then something would come along and just step in your way. Nothing phenomenal. Nothing that would just blow you away, but some little small thing that deviated the day for me. So... I wasn't in that dark place at the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've also exchanged stories with people over the years where they would get close to doing something like Elliot's considering doing. And something came up. You know, a stranger needed a push, you know, a, a jump in their car or, you know, something like this would derail them or, you know, the neighbor fell and called. All these kinds of things that happen. And I think that's what I love about the episode is it felt organic. So here's another thing that's going to, you know, he's got to kill two hours with the kid. 
allegedly. I don't believe for a second that the parents were in Danbury, Connecticut. Um, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But I do think that, you know, now he's, he's revisiting this thing. His very favorite movie is Back to the Future and what it represents. And how the storyline of Back to the Future is that Marty wants to go back, place his bets. He's got the almanac, right? And he wants to go back and place his bets on the Cubs winning the World Series. Because the producers at the time thought, this is the wackiest thing that could ever happen, the Cubs winning the World Series. So Marty's going to go, you know, place this crazy bet and become rich. But Biff gets the almanac and goes back in time, and he becomes the rich bastard. So Marty's having to go back with Doc to try to correct and recorrect this mistake which is pretty much uh, kind of our subplot or our over our undercurrent of Mr. Robot. Yeah. So you've got, you know, White Rose versus Elliot and who, who gets all of the gold. Um, so they go and he's like, why do you like, why, why does this movie mean so much to you or whatever? And he goes, you know, it won't make sense to you. And I love that Muhammad says a lot of why, why, why? <laughs> We were all that Y kid. And then he puts M&M's into um, Muhammad's popcorn, and Muhammad is, like, righteously indignant. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, wow, that's good. No shit. Come on. Like, uh, he's so cocky. I love how Elliot's cocky. Um, standing in line, we get to this truth about, and this is one of these moments where I, it's almost like Sam Ismail is just running onto the screen yelling at us. So the kid asks Elliot uh, what the movie's about, and a cosplayer, a Marty cosplayer, says, well, first Elliot says, it's hard to explain, it's about going to the future to change the past and coming back into an alternate present day. So the Marty cosplayer says, nope, you can't go into the future to change the past. It's way heavier than that. And he goes into the future to change the future, but that allows Biff to change the past, which changes the future again. And then a 50s Lorraine turns around, and, and this, is, this is Sam Ismail yelling at us mm-hmm. and going, nope, nope. It's much simpler than that. It's about how one mistake can change the world. Yeah. It's just Sam going, okay, you guys, I know you're on, online. You're in Reddit. These are your discussions. It's just this. It's just this, guys, you know. Um, and that's why I don't think that we're ever going to go into a sci-fi direction. Yeah. Ever. It's going to just be what it's going to I be. I mean, your air quotes, parallel universe is is the one that you're in. Exactly. Well, there's, there's somebody on Reddit who said this, and I want to go to it real quick. Uh, I hope I don't lose my place in our notes. But someone's talking about that everything that White Rose is hinted at, um, the stuff that she's told Angela, it comes down to the fact that physicists believe that uh, time doesn't move. We do, right? Our perception of time is something that flows from moment to moment, and it's an accident of our nervous systems. It's the only way we can experience what we experience and um, have it make any kind of sense. As we travel through our path in the multiverse of infinite potential future phenomenon, right? So he, this Redditor believes that White Rose is trying to create technology that will allow travel to other points in the multiverse, Right which would doubtless provide incredible insight into the nature of the universe and our place in it. Now, how they get to that, if they get to that, if that's what they're doing, I don't think Sam Esmail is going to do it in a very sci-fi way. I think he's going Flux to do it. capacitor DeLorean she's literally building a multi-billion dollar – she's going to go and use 
the elements and the resources in the fucking Congo to do a concrete thing. So she's literally going to make this happen, you know, or, or attempt to, this has been her life's work. So, um, anyway, I just found that I just like that, but then we get a little joke in here. Um, so Muhammad's not impressed with these, these, you know, nerdy descriptions of the plot. He's bored with it. He's like, are you sure we can't see the Martian? Come on, you're going to love it. The Martian has 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's because most critics have shitty taste. I love this season two dig. Yeah. We see you, Sam, Miss Mel, and we agree with you. Sam and the writer's room are like, yeah, you keep fucking with us. See what we'll do? We'll just troll you on our own show. Uh, And a lot of reviewers did do the kind of, oh, ouch, damn. Um, In the movie, Doc hands Elliot the flux capacitor again. He's just hitting us over the head with this whole Back to the Future thing. And while he's looked away, um, Muhammad has slipped away. He slipped out. So Elliot heads to the lobby. He uh, The concession guy says the kid with the hoodie bounced. I love this sort of gratuitous uh, Biff and Marty from the 50s uh, going at it. That was awesome. Uh, the show is really funny that way. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, it would be a really great idea. Not Marty, but Biff and... Uh, George, or was it a Biff and a Marty? It might have been. Well, it, it might have been Biff and a George, but I. It, it looked. It looked I think like a Marty. Might, no, it look, because it, he it was the uh, the black or the white top and the, the. No, no, no. That was the girl. The two guys making out in the uh, yeah the concession the, stand. I thought he had like the plaid thing on. Anyway, we had to go back and look at it. Just the fact that two Back to the yeah. Future characters, probably from the fifties, were making out of the same sex is just again. Sam trolling. They were acting the shit out of that. They scene. really were. There was a lot of ass grabbing. It was great. Um, so Elliot runs outside and he sees the girl struggling with her pump. She's doing, she's the uh, older, unhappy Biff married Lorraine. Lorraine. And again, this is our Wizard of Oz. Um, and he's looking at her red shoes. Another one of our, you're, we're not in Kansas anymore. And we're talking about the George costume. Like you're saying the George costume. Yeah. Is she? Is it a George costume? It reminds me of Trenton and Mobley's Fry's uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. It's it's the the uh, his dad from like Back to the Future one. Okay. So it was that. Yeah. Okay. Good. I think I just saw Fry's uniforms and went, oh, stop, stop rubbing our noses in it. Um, and then this also gives. Elliot a clue as to where Muhammad may be because he's done a, the the shoe demonstration. How he's the smooth guy with the shoes, and he flags down an ice cream truck as one does, uh, because we do hear through Matt Quayle in the score uh, from the beach scene. Uh, even in this scene, he has clocks ticking. Yeah, in the score, he does. like time. You know, we're running against a time, um, which is also a great shout out to After Hours. But we'll get to that. Um, so he's picked up by the, uh, Orthodox ice cream man, Richard Mazur, um, who's like, he's just looking at him. Elliot's looking at him. He's like, what? Try me. I'm looking for a mosque. It's near a playground. And he knows the two mosques that are nearby and Elliot isn't sure. And he's like, come on, we'll figure it out. I have good friends in both places. Um, I love what the show is talking about. That was a great line. You can, you can so hate all day long, uh, between these groups. But, you know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work yeah. um, like that. And I love this ice cream ride, this ride along with Sai, the wandering Hasid. Um, and he's blasting Orson Welles radio play, The World of the Worlds, um, that 1938 
uh, radio broadcast. It was performed live on October 30th, by the way, all these Halloween-themed things on CBS Radio. And again, the, the aliens invaded, starting with Grover's Mill, New Jersey, as we're experiencing it. And what this did is it pissed off a lot of people more than it panicked people. There's been disputes over how many people, like, panicked and really lost their shit. I think that got blown out of proportion over time. But it did piss people off. They thought it was a cheap prank, kind of like revealing that Elliot was in prison the entire time in season two. And again, I think uh, Sam Ismail is acknowledging that you felt betrayed by that, but that wasn't the point of it. And if you listen to the beginning of the broadcast in 1938, they clearly state that it was a dramatization and that no one was trying to fool you. Um, and there's this little exchange with Cy. Uh, Elliot says, War of the Worlds, huh? Why not? Because it's about the end of the world. Nope, that's incorrect, Cy says. Things get a little fakakta for a while, but in the end, humans actually persevere. I don't know about this persevering thing. Um, but I do think the show is overall very hopeful. Bad yeah. shit happens, yeah. you know, like... Yeah, and we're going to get to that theme. So, Muhammad at the mosque. Again, I'm not going to I'm not going to go through this whole scene, but I got to tell you, uh, this is Emmy shit right here. Uh between Elisha and Rami where they kind of have this nanny nanny boo boo fight at the mosque. And the end result is, you know, you're a baby, you're annoying, you are. This is a nightmare, Elliot says. You are. So are you. And then he's like Muhammad says, I wish you were dead. And Elliot says, so do I. And man, that, I think Muhammad realizes that Elliot is grieving just the way he is, that they both are filled with rage. Muhammad doesn't guess and doesn't know, you know, obviously Elliot's hand in this. I don't think he's a super child, but I do think that he he recognizes pain and now it's, it's pretty much on level with his. Um, he wonders about, you know, did I do something to make Shama leave? Elliot assures him, you know, hey, man, trust me. This has nothing to do with you. This is all me. And then he reminds him, he's like, hey, you really talk about yourself a lot, you know, and you can't have shoes on in here. And then, you know, Elliot takes his shoes off and they sit down and they have this conversation. And, and I was, again, really moving conversation, really uh, got me like where he talks about, you know, how he could be president because he was born there and that Shama and his parents couldn't. And he said, you know, if I were president, I would find my sister's killers. I'd lock up the real bad guys because obviously the parents believe, they all believe that she didn't do this and that he would make people eat pop tarts every day and people be nice to him. And he said, so you'd be a dictator. He's like, what's a dictator? Like a really bad president. Again, another Trump dig. A really bad president. Can you be president? Probably not. I mean, I think Mr. Robot would not, would be the dictator. You would really not. Talk about yeah. the guy pushing the nuke button. He's like, oh, North Korea? Boom. Only he would probably kill, you know, like he would probably go after like the strong men. That would be like a genocide yeah. of strong men. Might not be a bad thing for Mr. Robot to be president. So he says, so you're like my sister. You weren't born here. No, I was. Where? New Jersey, really. Uh, me too at part. Water, uh, Washington Township. Where were you born? And then this quiet way that Elisha delivers the word Trenton. Oh, and they just let it hang there. They just let that sit in the uh, air. And I'm bawling by now. I'm just like, 
losing my shit. Yeah. It's not coming out my nose. <laughs> so Elliot and Muhammad walk home from the mosque, and when we get to the door, we find out that Muhammad has had the keys the entire time to the house. And I found this was a thing that just got me, out of, just out of the blue, that he was like, he finally asked his name. All this time, you know, and that's such a kid thing to do. You know, until you are going to matter to me, I'm not even going to bother to learn your name kind of thing. Or it just occurred to him, but I think there's something symbolic in him asking Elliot his name at this point. Um, and then he asks if he can see him again, and, and Elliot's, you know, something just turns over in him. And the kid goes inside to get something, and Elliot is, he weeps. And I, I took that to mean that he's weeping over how close he got to killing himself, that Trenton's brother was his saving grace, saved his life. What happened to Trenton? Yes. All of this. It just becomes like... It yeah. It just crashes down. The weight of what happened. Absolutely. And, you know, all of a sudden, Muhammad is like, I mean, hey, sorry I met you. Thanks, Elliot. Sorry I made you late. I hope you can still do your important thing. You know, and that's when he's like, what am I doing? And then he promises to see him again. And I think he's going to keep this promise. He's going to take him to see the Martian. And that line tells me that Muhammad's already seen it. He's like, you're going you're to really like it. Matt Damon is awesome. Um, and when he returns, he gives Elliot this green lollipop. I love it. It just, again, it, it knocked me right out. Um, and I, I am pulling this from something that Core said about it because I was trying to figure out what its significance was. Um, Muhammad gives him the, the green lollipop because he said, you know, you're sick, right? And in his child's way, hey, maybe this will help. You know, you get this at the doctor. Um, I think it's also, for me, it's a ringing back to the accident and it's, and also how he's tried, you know, heroin, therapy, Adderall, Zoloft, jail. But this this sucker, this act of kindness, this kid, he does what none of those things could do, which is heal him. Healing healing the, the young Elliot, you know, the kid giving the young Elliot the, the, the lollipop. And this, if it was directed in any kind of different order, could have been a really schmaltzy scene. But the fact that they had him weep while the kid is out of sight, he's wiping the tears away, the kid hands in the sucker, there's no tears there. And then when Elliot walks away, he just shoves that sucker in his mouth like, yep, I'm not going to do it. That is all that performance between those two actors. That is editing. That is Sam Ismail. I love this fucking show. Um, then Elliot goes to Sandesh's house, and now he's all fired up. You know, he's had his his healing sucker, and he's like, "You're going to give your brother a proper one." He calls him out about um, you represent people like Hard Andy. We find out that that's how you know when he was tracking him, that Hard Andy is a client of Sandesh's holding, law firm. Their, their firm is holding money from the IRS. Or yes, doing shady shady things shit. Like that. So he's like, you know. You're going to sell back this uh, morphine. I don't need it anymore to Hard Andy. And whatever you get out of that is going to be enough to pay for a good funeral. I want an invite. I want you to start writing that eulogy, like now. And I'll be back. I'll be in the back listening. And I think he would be. 
you know, what he's going to do, call the cops. Then we have this wonderful scene at um, Angela's apartment, and I have to say, um, wow, about all of it, that they made this choice to show Elliot in the red hallway all in black, and then Angela in her black-walled apartment all in white. Neither of these things are actually true. I don't think there's a red light in the hallway. The apartment is clearly all in white. And then the locks show me all of these 910 locks of... There are padlocks, and there's a bolt, and there's a heavy golden lock. There's all of these things there, and this is their states of mind. Now, he's probably gone to her apartment door, but this is how they're feeling. And I love that they just did this in this way. Again, this could be very schmaltzy. This could be very um, on the nose or smug or pretentious to someone, but I I just took it as just it's theater. I like how they're doing this this beautiful thing on screen this way and he's trying to reach out to her and she's locked herself in and she's walled in 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 this dark place and he's coming from this dangerous place he's coming from what he's done and he he's trying to get her to respond to him and he's worried about her and when the camera the camera's panning back and forth between the red and the dark and Finally, he goes, he's about to walk away. And I think he he realizes he can't delete Angela from his life either. And he decides to turn around and and the show, again, definitely does this. But in this episode, I love that he goes back into the past, their childhood. This whole thing is about childhood and talks about their wishing game. Yeah. And he goes into this wonderful speech about how um, they would close their eyes and wish for things like computers and clothes and that they could drive and they wanted to get away um, and get far away from here. And that breaks through to her. That gets her, right? That brings her, I think, that's the one thing that could unlock at least one or two or three of those locks for her. Maybe not all of them, but it's a start. And I felt like she was starting to to come out of it there at the end. Because the last time I, you know... Well, they, they've sat and they talked about their past a lot, but I just re- recalling now is like, remember that last time they were at Gideon's for that dinner and they were sitting in the window talking mm-hmm. about her, the name she wanted, um, Claudia Kincaid. Yeah. And there was this, this, uh, happiness that you saw on her face that we, we had not seen with all the other scenes prior well, both to of them were like, they were just smiling like they, yeah. at the memory, like they were children again and how they got lost going to the. You know, they, going, they, going to the, right. to the Queen's Museum. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's this, this moment where this is where they can connect is in the past. And, you know, rather than sitting there and, and like a crazy person hitting the rewind button, he takes her back to this mm-hmm. moment where she says, you know, in the end, it'll, it'll all be okay. And then that's what she used to always say. In, the, in that last scene, the way it ends was there's something on the TV and then it just the evening just gets ruined. It becomes a terrible evening. Yeah. But in this one, the terrible shit has already happened. Yeah. And now all that's left is we'll be okay. Us to move forward from here. No matter what happens, we'll be okay. You know? And that's, that's a really grown up piece of advice that a child would have had. You know, it was there all along, Dorothy, you know, it was there all along. Home was there all yeah. along. Again, this Wizard of Oz stuff keeps and coming it up. And it wasn't, what did, what, did, what did they say? Um, 
But yeah, just what they what what they said in that thing. It was like it wasn't about the it wasn't about the wishing. Yeah. Um. After we it made all, yeah, we thought the harder we closed our the stronger our wishes would be, and even though they never came true, we still liked doing it because the ending was never quite our favorite part. Anyway, it was the wishing. It was yeah. I didn't get that at first. Uh, remember what you used to say to me before we opened our eyes. That would make it all better. Shout out to them using In Time from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in that. That was a good needle drop for that scene. So whomever chose that, Sam probably, or whomever, really awesome, awesome piece of music to put there. Uh, so it doesn't, it's not so heavy. There's not heavy violins. There's just not this heavy orchestra. They're, they're dropping in a song from Bill and Ted. Robbie Rob. Uh, Elliot walks his apartment now. And you can see he's lighter in his steps. He's lived through the day. He's reached out to his friend. Mobley's going to get a funeral. He connected with Mohammed. He had that wonderful conversation with Richard, Mazur's character, Sai. Um, and then this van screeches up. And I'm like, Sam, Ismail, if you do this, if Dark Army jumps up out of that van, I am going to, I'm going to find your house. I'm going to beat your ass because <laughs> he just likes to do this to us. He really does. But no, it's just same guys that he went to try to sell that he gave his Mr. Robot uh, jacket to. And they're not they're, There's no way they're they have the capacity to dispose of all this garbage. They're just taking people's money and they're just redumping Dumping it on it the in street. Neighborhood, yeah. Exactly. So the serendipity of this is what I love, that this whole episode was surreal. It was magical. Um, and this is the kind of thing the universe does when you head in a dark direction. It goes, nope, you're not giving up this part of yourself. Um, and that's, that's where we end. And he goes into his apartment and he puts up his new, uh, medicine cabinet and there's that mirror. And I think when he's looking in that mirror, this is the reconciliation between him and Mr. Robot. At least this is the... He's going to start speaking an, an to him directly. To, yeah. to be whole. I mean, I think I saw something in the the season three preview where you know they they're not at a place where they can actually talk talk to each other yet, uh, like they that they were in season one. But I think Mister Robot writes on the mirror to him, sends him messages. I still think they can they can you know they can write to each other. So I think he'll use the mirror in that way. Um, we see Flipper back in his apartment. And then we see him, um, you know, set up brand new tech. He's got new, new gear, and he's uh, he's a uh, well. Before he gets to that, well, he sets up the tech right, and then he he burns off his uh, CDs, um, and he talks about. No, he's already done the burning of the CD, right? He's yeah, he did that. that in the beginning. That's earlier. That's yeah. how the day started. So then he starts talking about retrieving that deleted file. Like you panic. You get rid of something and you're like, wait, 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 wait. There might be something useful in that. Why did I get rid of that? And so you you suddenly have a new purpose for that that thing you discarded. And he's setting up his Proton Mail. By the way, he's Elliot Alderson at ProtonMail.ch. I haven't tried it. I'm sure somebody has. And he's got one email and his inbox from Trenton that says, don't delete me. Now, Corridana says that this email was sent, uh, it auto was sent by Trenton, and it landed in Elliot's um, inbox three hours before he got it. But he's been out all day. So that was the day that she picked. 
She actually picked October 21st, 2015. To send on that day? Yeah. To someone that she knew that wouldn't be a significant day uh, for both of them. And maybe they had a code. I don't know. But if you've read the email, it says, um, I may have found a way to undo the hack. I've been investigating Romero. He installed hardware key loggers on all the machines at the arcade sometime before 5-9. The NYPD imaged all of his data before he was murdered. I was able to get this chain of custody document from the NYPD when they prepared to transfer the evidence to the FBI. Um, they couldn't get into the encrypted keylogger containers. If Romero somehow got a lot of the keys or even the seed data and source code for the encryption tools, the answer might be in those keylogger captures. But the FBI has all those files now. And then she attached the Romero NYPD chain of custody PDF. And then he's looking at this. Of course, he's a hacker and all this stuff makes sense to him. And he's like, maybe there are still things for me to do. Now, of course, I had to go off and look up key loggers. What are they? Yep. Um, by the way, before we get into like key loggers, did you notice that Shama said murdered? As we said all along. Yeah. Right? Dark Army, something, something, something. Why was she investigating it? She knew something was up with that. She knew something was shady with that. She's spending her time in Arizona working at the Fries, but this is what she's doing with her time, and this is how she discovers the keys. This is what she's saying as Leon rolls up, and she's trying to convince you know, Frederick Mobley that they could undo this, and this is how. Um, I have just – there's something here sure. in this the, – the letter that she says is like, the NYP, NYPD imaged all of his data before he was murdered. How did they get access to the data? Um, that was one of the things that was confusing to me, too. Because um, then I was thinking, oh, wait, but but Santiago is FBI. But it's not Dark Army. Did he get hauled in? Was he being investigated by NYPD and then Dark Army had to kill him? So, yeah, the before he was murdered thing. Yeah, huge. I don't know what that means. Yeah. There's a little time something happened there. there, and right? I don't think we know that, but I think there's 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 all kinds of shit. Okay, but Romero, so I'm not the only one who was confused about not that. Not at all. Before he was murdered, exactly, exactly. Thank you for not letting me just plow right through there, uh, Maria. Um, uh, how do you say your name, Maria? Varmazis, 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 Varmazis. We're anyway, terrible with names. Um, yeah, I, I I probably butchered everybody's name on this. I finally learned how to say Rami's name. Um, she writes with Naked Security, and she broke down uh, what this what this whole with this message meant. So essentially, when I'm if I'm getting this correctly from Maria, Romero put keyloggers on all the arcade machines. I don't think any ask, anyone asked him to do it. I just think he's just a paranoid, old school hacker who wanted to cover his ass in some way. Um, so he put these keyloggers that were undetectable by any of the five nine team. They didn't know about it either. And it tracked all the data that ran through all of these computers. Every keystroke, every piece of data went through there. And so Trenton discovered it when she was investigating this, you know, Romero's murder. The FBI grabbed up Romero's hard drive when they came to his house after he was killed, right? Because MIPD hands it over. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they have. But what they have is the ability to undo the initial 5-9 hack and restore all those digital records at E-Corp. That's what I'm taking that to mean. If I am wrong, hey, sorry, I don't even know how to use a PC, so what the fuck do I know? 
But I think this is literally what we've been talking about, undo, that E-Corp gets all of its files back, right? Which then restores a lot of stuff, which also kills E-Coin, which shakes price down and also its huge leverage against White Rose. You know, how are they going to use it? And, and, and won't this mean that Dom and Elliot and Darlene need to get together and exchange some information? Yeah. Will it be used that way? That seems very much the way it should go, but Sam doesn't do things that way, so maybe he doesn't do that. Will he reach out to his boo Terrell uh, for some good old-fashioned revenge? Well. Angela take White Rose's side from here on out? Or has she seen the light and seen that maybe White Rose is um, a terrorist? She's the terrorist. So let's talk about, um, well, a couple of things. Uh, Producer Corridana is saying this feels, uh, this show doesn't, is not designed to feel like a Mr. Robot show. Uh, Look, Go watch the movie After Hours. You and I should see it. It's Griffin Dunn from back in the day. It very much felt like that. It, it feels like that in a Jim Jarmusch film at the same time. Um, I love how the show is doing these homages to uh, characters that are dead and that they're giving them this weight and importance. How Mobley and Trenton are gone but not forgotten and how Trenton is from the grave helped... Um, a Romero from the grave, give Elliot in, in this entire scenario maybe a shot at redemption, maybe a whole other angle, maybe just another way to go. Um, so Undoing a mistake. Do you want to talk about what we were talking about last night about Mohammed? Well, you know, it was, it was funny. It was just like I thought it was because at the end of – the not last episode, the episode before, when Trenton and Mobley are in their car, and she talks about her brother is probably freaking out right now. Um, it was just weird to me that she brought him up. I, I was just I, I, I yeah because because it's like out of the blue. And last night I was really with you on this, but then I you know I read things by, by the creators right, and Cor just said that they wanted to find a way into Elliot's point of view right now and his mindset. So so that they knew that she had a brother and they just and used they would it. use him. Okay. Right. And that he was drawn out of the house because he came and said nice things about her. Because and that yeah. makes sense too. But I gotta so, tell yeah. you, you know, I thought you were onto something. Um, so uh, this, it's a, t- it's a total side note. We're not going to linger on it. Where is Ellie getting his money? Does Ellie just not spend his money and just, he's really good with saving money. Is he hacking it out of bank accounts? I, yeah, probably. He's probably like know. hacking or, into something and just like, did, oh, paid for and it gets shipped. <laughs> or did Edward leave behind a lot of money? You know, was he taken care of by his mysterious benefactor, White Rose? Well, the same Philip thing Price, with, with or, Darlene too. I mean, somehow yeah, she's like, got. How are they living? Yeah. Maybe. You know, maybe the benefactor thing. I something's going on. A um, couple of cool things because I'm just saying he's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I don't think a, a medicine cabinet is going to break the bank. But how do you? What kind of money do you have to buy an entire like stash of morphine? I don't know my drugs, and I don't. I've never really purchased them. Well, not in a couple of decades, but like I don't. You know, I'm figuring morphine is is not cheap. 
an entire bag of it. Well, I think like, I don't know what it is now, but back in the day, an ounce of pot, like good shit, mm-hmm. would be like $500 for an ounce. Right. So, I mean, I don't even know what the, the price point on yeah. you know, what morphine is. So, I don't know. I'm just but, saying, where's he getting his money? Uh, so, yeah. We've got a curfew in place, 9, 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. I don't know how that's going to... um. How that's robot, Mr. Robot's hour, so he's gonna have to sneak. Uh, by the way, Hard Andy's brief co- uh, briefcase combo is 812. And I thought, well, is this a shout out to Pulp Fiction, you know? But that suitcase uh, combination was 666. And if you wanna go down a rabbit hole about how Jules survives being shot, like Terrell in the arcade, and they had a new lease on life, and that was, you know, Marcellus Wallace's soul and all that stuff. You can do that. I think there's there's a whole lot to be said. That, that's a whole show unto itself. But what what just kept tickling my brain is what is eight one two? That's the combination that Hard Andy's using, right? So I just said, okay, is it? It's a calling code. So I called it. I looked it up, and it is the calling code for Evansville, Indiana, where Rami Malik went to school at the University of Evansville. You clever motherfuckers. <laughs> I was very proud of myself for discovering that all on my own. Um, so I'm just sort of like trolling through our miscellaneous stuff. We had the Halloween thing. Uh, this is something that struck me. Hard Andy, back to him, more, his morphine comes straight from uh, the manufacturing plant in New Jersey, which leads me to believe that White Rose has also got a corner on the drug market. Um like we think that Ecor has their hand in everything, I think White Rose has got her hand in the most important shit. So I think the the manufacturing plant. So then it started making me like spin out of control last night when I was thinking about that. You know, is she got that? Is she also cornering the Suboxone market? You know, is Vera Dark Army? You know, is he on some sort of the fringe of Dark Army? Because you got the Leon guys. You got to have all kinds of tools of the trade. You know, with Shayla planted. In the see, apartment, see that then you start next to Elliot by the Dark a total Army. Rabbit hole there. I probably not, you know, because I don't shot. I don't. I don't. She doesn't strike me as someone who'd be Dark Army. I'm just saying she. She certainly got caught up in their web because something was going on there. I don't know. Um, because White Rose would say nothing. Nothing is coincidence. Yeah. So she's she's got her hands in everything, so she knows that nothing's just going to happen. Yeah. And then what about Ray at the prison? Was he dark arm? Everybody's dark. Everybody's a targ. Everybody's a targ. Uh, the color purple uh, is associated, by the way, with things. They're using this as a 7-1 hack color. And I looked it up. I just was curious as to why it had to be purple. Um, it's associated with royalty, nobility, luxury, power, ambition. Also, wealth, extravagance, creativity, wisdom, dignity, grandeur, devotion, Peace, pride, mystery, independence, and magic. Mm? Mm. Um, magic. The needle drop uh, music was great. Like we talked about, um, you had the honeybees, these old memories, Brenda Lee's Losing You, and Mr. Sandman. All of these songs that are emoting uh, what our characters are feeling. And, of course, we talked about In uh, Time and Bruce Springsteen's Magic, even though we didn't hear the song in the episode there is a shout out there um so yeah we're going to talk about next week episode nine right mr robot yep 
Normally I don't do this. I just go, it's coming up and we're going to talk about it then. But it's kind of interesting. Uh, it kind of answers a lot of the questions that I had, uh, like what's going on. Elliot is um, asking for a meeting with White Rose. It looks like he gets a meeting, but it's with a lover assistant, Grant Chang, when you see them on the grassy knoll, because I slowed it, freeze-framed it. So I don't think she's going to show up for that. Uh, we see Tyrell in front of Ecourt Building, so is he going back to work? Are they giving him a position? Are they all sorry? I don't know. Um, then we see a bedraggled Angela in the streets, and she's on Elliot's stoop going, it's finally happening. What does that mean? Does that mean that... I've, I took that to mean that some shit's going to to happen to White Rose because she flips the table in the trailer and I feel like the justice is finally coming to E-Corp in some way. Um, I don't know. Dom and Darlene at the, at the bar having a conversation. You know, Dom is all in her grill about like, Terrell is free, your friends are dead, you got to do something. Um, here's the most interesting thing. Mr. Robot is in Terrell's house. So Terrell and Mr. Robot are meeting. Now, is this the newly merged Mr. Robot with Elliot and Elliot and Mr. Robot are aware or Mr. Robot and Elliot are not fully, like we say, merged, but Mr. Robot's going to tell Elliot what happened with Terrell because he says when the time is right, we'll begin. This is what Robot is saying to Terrell, who's screaming at him, I've lost everything because of you. Um, And Robot saying, you know, we made a deal or whatever. So... Then we also see Leon on Elliot's couch. So he's back from Arizona slash New Mexico. Um, And then we see a a quick shot of Price. And then Elliot is wiping clean his new bathroom mirror. Uh, We're coming full circle. A lot of shit's going to go down. Yeah. And they got two 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 episodes to go. I'm going to be so sad when when this show is over. But here's the good news. When Mr. Robot wraps up, we're going to be coming back and we're going to do an episode by episode of season one of Smilf. If you're not watching Frankie Shaw, who played Shayla on Mr. Robot, if you're not watching the show that she writes, uh, produces, uh, acts in that whole nine, she is the showrunner of the show. They got a season two, by the way, out of it. It's so damn good already. Big ups. I mean, they've only put three episodes out and they've been signed on. It's wonderful. It's on Showtime. It's called Smilf. Look, she didn't like the title either. That was just the working title for the, uh, I think it's the name of the short, but she wanted to change it to Dirty Bird, you know, because her last name is Bird. Uh, But we're going to be coming back and doing an episode by episode of that and talking about the wonderful work of Frankie Shaw, how amazing Rosie O'Donnell is in this show, and all the other characters, and the themes, and and how it's written, and what a bomb job she's doing with that. Yeah, it's like I totally forget it's Rosie. It's Rosie, yeah. Um, she's when not I'm playing watching, Rosie. She's not. Like, she's, she wanted to disappear in the she's role. She's awesome, and she's awesome. Um, so follow us. Um, listen to us. Thank you guys for listening. By the way, I want to give a huge shout out to our listeners. We're getting huge uh, numbers coming in. Thank you guys for for tuning in, and it's awesome to hear from you. We are uh, Ashland on iTunes and Stitcher. We're Ashland Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And we're AshlandPodcast.com is our website if you go to websites anymore for podcasts. I don't know. I would I don't think I've ever done that. URL. The URL. Earl. My Earl's over here. My old timer Earl. But I am gonna put up the lyrics to this song just so you can see it. I mean it's that magic song is kind of blowing me away. And we're gonna play that song right now and send you on out. So farewell, Trenton and Mowgli and Romero. 
your deaths were valuable. Have a good weekend. Peace. Peace. Got a corn in the pond. I can make it disappear. I got a card up my sleeve. Name it and I'll pull it out your ear. I got a rabbit in my head. If you want to come and see, this is what we'll be. This is what we'll be. Got shackles on the wrist. Soon I slip and be gone. Chain me in a box in the river. Rising in the sun. Trust none of what you hear. Less of what you see. This is what we'll be. This is what we'll be. Cut you in half While you're smiling at me